0: It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, boats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's
1: got it! They're not gonna catch him! He's gonna go the distance! Touchdown! Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson! 92 yards! Mason 10 And Anderson will take it in! Richard six, And a touchdown! Into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown!
2: Big return for Crowder! 85 yards!
0: Passed road! There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete! They got pressure on Prescott, it was Adams who came blitzing in! he hit,
1: hit, hit immediately it. when he got the handoff, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> the q Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you.
0: From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at jet one This is part two of the weekend mailbag. Asking a pro. We've got Jamal Westerman here, the man that sacked Tom Brady not just once but twice in a single game in 2011 answering questions the way that only a pro can so let's jump right in with part two of the mailbag next question comes in for ben marsh he says jamal how badly did the ref yell at you after you sacked tom brady for the second time in that game in 2011 for daring to put your hands on the nfl's golden child
2: <laughs> you know what though that's one of my that's one of my pet peeves if you watch the game, and I remember I used to watch as a player, you know, you, you watch film or you watch it on TV, you watch from on the sideline or you're on the field, you see a quarterback get knocked down with a big sack. Peyton Manning, maybe he'll take a knee. Don't let anybody touch him. Tom Brady, you know, get sacked twice. Well, that happens twice every now and then. <laughs> and then you see the ref, all right, get up off him. All right now, help him up. You're all right. I'm like, wait a minute, ref. You've never told me, hey, you're all right. Get on up. Get off of him. But they love that quarterback. And you know what? I think you can. Sometimes you be like, all right, it is what it is, because the refs, you know, they're they're fans too. They enjoy the game too, and they they know who the stars are and who they see every day. And when they see Brady gets hurt, they probably look and say, hey, that's my guy, man, get off of him. So yes, definitely the refs always do tell you get off the quarterback. Oh, you're dancing too much, too much celebration. But hey, man, you get the goat or you get any quarterback, you got a little bit of put a little dirt on them and dance on them a little bit. So it's always fun. The rest are always giving you a little help when you're hitting those those high-priced, you know, face-of-the-NFL-type guys.
0: Next question comes in from G Tucker 1115 He says, Jamal, how many sacks do you think you could have had in Greg Williams' defense?
2: Oh, man, Greg, let's see. Let's see. Uh, let's see. How many games? We got six wins. In the second half of the man. Listen, I, I don't double digits. Why not? I can double. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I really, I really like his defense because I you know, just being as a player who started some games at one point was a rotational player where you're coming in into in somebody else's position. You know, you may come into a defense and you may, you know, the guy in front of you may be the stud. He may be the 6'6", 200 and you know, 70 seventy pound outside linebacker, and you may be a quicker, more athletic guy. But it depends, like I said, the plays they call. So say they're calling more plays where he's sent the edge, where your your skills may be more cutting in and out of gaps, stunting, moving around, you know, being more athletic. If you're stuck in a system where you know what, we don't know if we can trust player and we don't know if we can trust Jamal yet. So we can't design a defense or design blitzes or putting him in situations where we have he's he we have to depend on him as a key factor until they can trust you. Greg Williams, one thing I like about his defense is every time a player is inserted because of injury, because of, you know, somebody's not playing well because of sickness, he's seen find a way to, okay, let's make a, let's, make, let's use this player. Let's just see what his strengths are. You know, with Jamal Adams, this is the first year that we've seen Jamal Adams so much around the football that you're looking at him now and it's kind of redefining what type of, you know, safety he is, what type of DB he is. I mean, he's the guy that can cover the ground, but now he's a guy similar to a, you know, kind of bar, you know, Barber down there in Tampa, a DB that can blitz, even though Barber was a corner and out of safety, but a guy that can blitz, that can play in so many different situations. You can play him at the linebacker, you can play him at the inside linebacker, you can rush him off the edge. That you know, he's used more in Greg Williams' defense, and that's Greg Williams seeing something like, you know what. We can use Adams more. He has a lot more skill than he's been putting on display. He's a lot more aggressive than we thought, you know, in the past game, rushing the passer or attacking, you know, and run blitzing. He'll come downhill and he'll cut a guard pulling and try to make the play on the running back. So, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, it's really a system can help a player kind of reach his capabilities and putting them in position to be successful and be productive. But you have to gain that trust. And that's one thing I like about G-Dubbs a defense that he's putting guys in position, but listen, show me a couple of games that you can do the right job first before you ask for your own blitz or for, before you ask for a, a special coverage or being the key, key guy who's supposed to hit the quarterback, put it on film first, develop, play hard and we'll find a position for you to go out there and make plays. So hopefully G does this. I could have got like 10 stacks and double digits, you know, two on Brady and then the other eight on the rest of the quarterback.
0: Personally, I think you would have gotten four on Brady each time you played him. So eight just in those two Patriot games.
1: Well,
2: wait a minute, because then I only have two, sack, two more sacks for the rest of the season. So see, see, look, there it goes. I have 10 sacks, but is that productive, Scott? <laughs>
0: say, you,
2: say, you say, say I had eight sacks in two games and two for the other
0: 14. Is that production? It's an interesting conundrum. I was going to say that we would have had eight sacks in those games and then a whole bunch more, and you would have broken the single-season sack record. But if you want to sell yourself short, Jamal. Well,
2: I'm just saying, if I, if I bust out with 10 sacks, <laughs> we you know we're talking about quitting, we talk about Leo. If I come through with ten sacks, but I told you eight was against the Patriots, is that successful season as a Jets, you know, fan follower? You know, this is me just wondering as a player. What do you? What would you call it?
0: It's an interesting question. I would say that would probably get you a big contract, but are you better off having the ten sacks where eight of them come in two games, or are you better off having something like twenty-five pressures and quite a few less sacks? I would say you'd probably rather have. The multitude of pressures, but everybody views these things differently. It's just that Jamal, you and I view it the right way, and some people view it the wrong way.
2: <laughs> that's my question. That's, see, that's, that should be my question. It's like a, instead of a mail bag, it's like a wet bag. Which one is which one would you want more, Jets fans? Eight sacks on the Patriots, two sacks in the other games, or ten sacks spread throughout the season?
0: That's an interesting question, and I think because it's Tom Brady, they would probably go with the eight against the Patriots because they just want to punish him. (laughs) Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, looking at Greg Williams' defense, what do you think they need more, a top pass rusher or a lockdown corner? And what type of corner do you think fits best in Greg Williams' system? Which free agents out there do you think the Jets can get on defense to help them improve enough that they can use their premium draft capital – On Offensive players to help Sam Darnold reach the next level in 2020 so this is kind of interesting Jamal because you can see things with The way that Greg Williams deploys players And the average person may not see it In the same way so I'm curious What you think about this what do You think the Jets need more in Greg Williams system a really Strong cover corner or a really strong Edge rusher and also Which type of cornerback Do you think would fit Greg Williams System best
2: well, I'll start – you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy that plays on the edge, but play a little linebacker in coverage. I think for Greg Williams' system, they always say the quarterback is the man. The quarterback gets all the money, and the guys that go get him are the guys you need to stop, you know, in, in the league. You know, guys that can attack the quarterback, that can be disruptive, you know, and then be productive with it in the backfield, making plays on the quarterback, making plays behind the line of scrimmage. You know, so I, I would think uh, uh, for any defensive coordinator, defensive, you know, coach, having that guy's Khalil Mack type, uh, you know, Clay Matthews from back in the day type, uh, even, you know, you think about a a Freeney, anybody that could come off the edge consistently and create havoc. In the backfield, where they have to scheme for him, where they have to chip him, you know, where they have to have a condensed formation and put a tight end in front of him to slow down his get off, you know, where they have the guard, you know, cheating over and help him. I think any scheme, any person that you can have coming off the edge do that. I think for a defensive guy is the most important. So I think for G Dub that may be it. But the one thing about him is just the multitude of blitzes, the multitude of things that he does on third down and his blitz package and his pressure system is you need corners that can be man-to-man lockdown corners that can be on an island. And, you know, where everybody's looking for the next, you know, man-to-man, you know, Jim uh you know, Richard Sherman that can just kind of lock down the side of the field, man-to-man holds up while the blitz, you know, has the time, the pressure packages have time, has a time to get there. So I would think having that dominant edge guy, I think for G-Dub system would, would be, that's the guy I would want. Just a dominant guy you can, Put there, and you can move them around up front and make them productive. But if we were talking about corners and what type of corners that he would look for in the system, it's definitely guys that can play a little bit of man to man, you know, that can be versatile. But, you know, in those third down and longs, when he wants to send some pressure, you know, you're going to have some single coverage and you have to have a kind of that lockdown guy that can play in those situations.
0: And as far as the free agents, we're going to dive deeper into that over the next couple of weeks as we get ready for free agency. So stay tuned on that one, Michael. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, gentlemen, gangsters and former NFL players. And in case you didn't know, Jamal, one time Chris Nimbley, who comes on the show and is, of course, a very big deal, was saying how he thought it was funny that Peter will refer to us as gentlemen when he doesn't consider himself a gentleman and fashions himself more as a gangster. So now Peter says, <laughs> gentlemen and gangsters referring to me and Chris. And now you, former NFL player and current CFL player. He says, why did the Jets there not extend Robbie Anderson? Is it because of the off the field stuff? Is it possible he tried and his agent said no? With the salary cap going up, I'd say there's no reason not to sign him now. Thoughts? So Robbie is going to test the free agent market He said that and I understand why he's doing it He's the best free agent wide receiver Out there by a pretty considerable margin And there are a lot of teams That have needs at wide receiver And a lot of teams have money to spend So I would do the exact same thing as him What this boils down to for me actually Is I think Mike McCagnin messed this up Because they should have locked Robbie Anderson Up at the end of last season And they wouldn't have to deal with this But I think they felt like they could have him on A bit of an audition year So they signed him to that tender as a restricted free agent And figured they could make the decision At the end of the year But they didn't take into account the needs of other teams What the market was going to look like So I think that now if they keep Robbie Anderson It's going to end up costing the A lot more money than it would have if they would have signed him at the end of last year And unfortunately I think there's a good chance that Robbie goes somewhere else If a better team with more guaranteed money comes along So I feel like this is something that the Jet front office messed up by not taking care of sooner There are a variety of reasons that they might not have done it Perhaps they weren't fully sold on Robbie. Perhaps they were nervous about the off the field stuff. I don't know for sure, but I think that clearly it was a mistake. And I think that if they want to keep him now, they're going to have to pay through the nose.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I'm not with you on everything you said, but I'm I'm with you on if they if they want to play him now. If you knew this is this type of the you know season at the end and how he, this reduction he's, he's had through the last couple of games and really that that um, chemistry with Darnold if you knew this what it was going to be at the end of last year at the beginning of this year I think they would have locked him up longer but with the injuries of Sam early in the season you couldn't really get a feel of how him and you know and Robbie, you know how how was their connection because Sam wasn't playing so you're other quarterbacks throwing it to him and they're missing him a little bit here they're missing them there you know you can tell that they didn't have the chemistry together and when Darnold came back I mean you can see his play pick up and I don't think it was only because Sam Darnold was back I think it was. It looked like he was attacking the ball better. It looks like he was more physical in going up, and instead of just catching the ball, he was grabbing it out of the air. He he looked like a different receiver than he did last year, and even the beginning of this year. And you can see that he's developing. You can see that he's getting. It seems like he's getting better at his craft. And throughout the season, he he spoke about working in practice, trying to improve. You know attacking the football. Heinz Ward spoke about he's doing such a better, such, you know, doing a better job of being more physical at the top of his routes And when the ball is in the air. So those are some things that you saw him increase his, his, his chances because you did have a a proficient quarterback out there, but also you saw him just get better at it. You just saw him just, He had more chances to make those plays, and he was making them. He was being more aggressive. He was being more physical. His route running was, you know, a little bit cleaner. So I think – I'm not saying they dropped the ball, but you don't know because quarterbacks hurt the situation on offense, moving guys in and out, miscommunications. You couldn't really point, you know, on offense. You probably couldn't point to anybody the first half of the season who who was playing well, who wasn't playing well because you're looking at a – kind of a mass unit, an ER unit of players down, players out, players coming in off the bench, players that, you know, haven't been in the offense even during the offseason now have to come in and play a lot. So, you know, obviously he's a player that you would have wanted to sign up early, but with him saying he's going to, you know, look for the most money or look for the most guarantee, I think that's within his right. And I think, you know, when guys say that, you know, sometimes just like when guys say it's not about the money, and sometimes it is. You no know, guys are talking. At the end of the year, they're trying to figure it out themselves. Where right now he may say, "Yeah, it's just all about the money." But you know, moving forward in the off season, you know, some trust he may get with JD and what they're building there, what him and Sam had also, because him and Sam, him, Sam did have a connection. Maybe he looks at some things, and it depends on the difference in the money. Maybe it's you know, where does he want to live? You know, coaching staff, the offense, you know, how they want to you know feature him in in the offense, and those are all valid and useful things that I think him and his agents and his management is going to use moving forward into his contract negotiation because he did he played himself into it he stayed healthy he had a year he finished strong and like you said he's one of the premier free agents and wide receivers in this year's uh, roster building season
0: And just to be clear, I'm all about going for the most money. I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. I kind of go crazy when I see fans say, how dare he? He's only about the money. Okay, well, you have a limited number of years to make as much money as you can in a physically punishing sport. I have no problem with guys going for the most money if that's what they choose to do. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from John Flesh. He says, Jamal, do you think your fellow RU alum, Bless Austin, has a real shot to be a starting cornerback in this league? Not just for 2020, but for the long haul. I'll start with this, and then I'll throw it to you. You have better insight on this, being an RU guy and having known Bless Austin a little bit. I think if he can stay healthy, he's shown that he has the skills to be a legitimate cornerback in the NFL. It's just going to be a matter of staying healthy. What do you think, Jamal?
2: I'm with you right on that. I think Bless, you know, he had a a season that started down coming off injury last year. You know, being a guy that late pick, you know, being on the pup, not being able to practice, you know, then coming into camp, getting in shape, being away from football a while. And they said, could he be a starting quarterback? I mean, he started games this year. He was a guy that had to be relied on, and at points in the season, played at a high level. You know, the the only thing I think, like you said, is injury that can take away from him having a and that's everybody having a super productive career because he has all the physical traits that you want. If you're looking at, you know, kind of checking the boxes, he's tall, he's athletic, he's long, he's, he has, you know, great long uh, arm length, you know, he can move, He's aggressive, you know. He, he plays with a kind of a chip on his shoulder. And for DBs, especially corners in this league, you have to be an aggressive guy with a chip on his shoulder that can, you know, all right, you got to beat me on this one, but you're not going to beat me on the next one. You caught this touchdown, but next time I'm going to get the pick or I'm going to bat it down. So I think all those characteristics, you know, he has the physical trait, he seems to have the men- mental makeup and a, kind of that, that dog in him you know, to to play a long time because he did make it through those two injuries to come back and be, and then be a player in the NFL, you know, this year, I think he's just going to have to do what we all have to do as young players, clean up your technique, learn how to be a pro, learn how to, you know, continue to be more coachable, you know, being able to take your, you know, the defense from, you know, kind of the one-on-one to take it to the graduate level where you're not just thinking, okay, what do I do now? You know what Jamal Adams is seeing and you know what the D linemen are seeing, you know, so you may say, "Oh, okay, they're mo- they're shifting like that because they're thinking pass. Let me get ready to play them. The ball's coming out quick, or it's a three step because of this formation." So as he improves his 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 intellect, his football IQ, he's going to get better because he has the characteristics physically to play in the NFL and to play a long time in the NFL. Or oh, he wouldn't have been a draft day because guys aren't looking to draft guys off a, a bunch of ACLs unless they see, you know, what without those ACLs physically, he's probably the you know, a good looking cornerback that what we will look for in our prototype type of guy, it's just he's been injured so much in college.
0: John Flesh also asks, from your perspective as a former player, how would you grade the coaching job Greg Williams did this season? Is it feasible as a defensive player to have more respect for your defensive coordinator than your head coach? How would you stay motivated in 2020 if the offense remains bottom three again? And I thought you would have a particular insight into this because in the book Collision Low Crossers by Nicholas Dowadoff, he talks about how the defense got very frustrated in 2011 as Mark Sanchez and the offense failed to keep up with them. The defense had everything put on their back at a lot of points during that season. So I was curious what you thought about that.
2: Our first question um... How do they feel about Greg Williams? You know, from – it seems like they love Greg Williams. I, I, just from seeing the clips of him talking, talking to people that have been around him, you know, just watching them compete, watching them on the sidelines when they go over to the coach. It seems like he's a no-nonsense guy, but he puts players in position to be successful. You know, he's not a – from, you know, just reading and hearing what he said, he's not a guy that talks about what players, you know, I need this type of player or I need guys to do this, or we're looking for an edge rush or we need a guy off the edge or we're looking for corners. It seems like this is what I got. These are the guys I got and we're going to make it work. And as a player, you always respect that in your coaching that because you can tell that he's not looking for the next guy. He's looking to make it work with you, with your talents. And as long as you can go out there and do what you do well, do it all the time and do it at a high level, you're a guy that's going to be there and he's going to try to put you in position to be successful. So I think, you know, they probably have a lot of respect for him, you know, to be able to hold them together and not, not to be a guy that's all right. The season's as woe as me. We're injured. Oh, we're not going to be able to do anything. We're going to have a horrible year, but all right, you're in right now. Lock in. Let's go. Let's get some wins. Be aggressive. Let's punch somebody in the mouth and let's make it happen. So I, I definitely think they have a lot of respect for him. And the difference between a defense and an offense, like you said, in 2011, there was frustration, you know, because I think there's frustration when you feel that, man, we played a good enough game to win, but a certain side of the ball or a certain person or this happened while we didn't get the win. But I think frustration, and that's the one thing I say with with the team, the way they finish, I think frustration can do two things. It can kind of tear a team apart where there's pointing fingers and it's not, listen, y'all got to do better, but it's more you guys suck, you guys are trash, we need a new this, we need this guy's. oh, this guy just got released, maybe he can help us out, maybe we should trade for this quarterback, or for this offensive lineman, or for this D tackle no, there's more of that frustration can tear a team apart, or can galvanize a team where, listen, we going out to practice, and we're going to play harder, listen, we're going out to practice, we're going to communicate more, we're going to try to kick the offense's ass, we're going to try to make them play up to our level, you know, we're going to you know, study more film because as a defense, you're going to have to make another play. We're going to try to rip the ball out when we're when we're attacking the, you know, the, the ball carrier, not just trying to tackle him or knock him on the ground. We're going to go and try to peel his fingertips off the ball to get a turnover. So I think there's frustration, but that can galvanize a team. That can keep a team together. And I think you saw some of that at the end because the team kept playing hard on defense. You didn't really see that way throughout the season. So I don't think the defense was doing a lot of, looking over at the offense because you can only control what you control in this league. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, the whole team, the whole team can lose, but you have a job to do within that team. And you have to do your job because you're getting filmed, you're getting graded, you're getting evaluated on how well that you do your job on the field.
0: Next question comes in from Brian Gowiski. He says, why did Sam Darnold lie to us when he told Deion Sanders after he was drafted that Jets fans should expect a lot of wins with him under center? That hurt my feelings. (laughs) Brian, I got to tell you, man, I'm with you because you can lie to women. You can lie to children. You can lie to anybody but Deion Sanders. Don't lie to Deion Sanders.
2: I don't know if he lied. He said, he didn't a time limit. You see, listen, man, He maybe he was just strategic. He thought his third year was going to be the year. So maybe he's not lying. Donald don't look like a liar to me. He told us all he had motto. Right? He looks like a truth teller to me. So I think, you know, maybe he's just saying, maybe my third year, maybe my fourth year. Maybe when I re I'll take you guys to the promised land. So maybe, listen, he ain't lied to Dion. He just, you know, he just, he just got the numbers, you know, you got to move it around a little bit, push it a year later. Yeah, that's where all the wins will come, a year later.
0: I hope so, because I really don't <laughs> want to think that Sam Darnold would lie to the great primetime Sanders. Next question comes in from DCAP 55 He says, when are the Jets moving out of New York? Well, technically, they're in New Jersey now, so they moved out of New York yeah, back in 1983 that. when they left Shea Stadium. But as far as if they're going to leave Being a quote-unquote New York team, I would say probably never because Woody Johnson, I would imagine, is not looking to move the team away from being a New York team.
2: Oh, you can't leave New York. I mean, who's going to fight with the Giants fans about who's (laughs) good and who's the best in a decade and whose fans suck? I don't know. So you can't leave New York. I think the the teams aren't leaving New York, man. I'm looking but we all looking for what? More success in 2020. So let's give them a – let's give them a – you know, all the teams in New York, give them a new year, new me. 2020. 2020. The
0: 2020 20, 20. Next question comes in from Robert Lee. He says, how much turnover of the roster is too much? Does continuity versus talent factor in? 50% seems like an absurd amount, but it's what we could be looking at with the Jets this offseason. I'll let you answer this, Jamal, but for me – I think it really all depends on what you've got on the roster. Sometimes you have a roster that's really, really bad and you just need the turnover. I know that continuity is important, but you can't have continuity just for the sake of it. If you've got a roster that's really bad, you can't just keep a bunch of the players because you're afraid to change.
2: I, I definitely um, you know, believe that the roster turnover, continuity, uh, things of a nature are important when looking at this time of the year, the kind of the roster-building season, off-season in the year. And, you know, like you said, you, you can't be afraid of the change. You can't be afraid to make moves and to move guys along or bring in new guys. But I think also is you want to have the right people in the locker room. and uh, That can be overlooked where, you know, you're looking at free agents and you're looking at the draft. And you're like, man, this guard right here from, you know, wherever university, his Mississippi State guard, man, he'll be a great addition to our offensive line. We need him. But then you may go talk to his uh, strength coach and say, man, this guy doesn't work. He's just a big guy. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't train. You know, he's not a good locker room guy. So just because, you know, you want to move on and you want to get more talent, but it's the right people to bring in the locker room. I think that's such an important thing that, that can be overlooked where it's just, you know, people just look at stats and they just look at, you know, what the production is on the field. But at times of, of adversity, at times of even success, you know, how the team stays together, how the team handles those moments, those critical moments within the NFL season where you may be on a winning streak, but you're not getting the ball. You know, how do you, how does that player handle that? Like his stats may be great in the year past his free agency year. Oh, yeah, we want him back or we want to sign this free agent. He's a great receiver, man. We're, we're killing it on offense. But, yeah, this big-time for agent doesn't get the ball that much. How does he handle that? I mean, how does he handle the team success versus his lack of production? You know, how does how does the defensive lineman handle And I want to get these sacks, but they got me, you know, twisting and stuff. So I think when you're bringing in guys, you have to look at the right men for the locker room, the right people of high character, guys that want to be committed and want to compete, because that's the most important part. It's just not about we want to get talent or we need to turn over because we have to get better. It's going and – picking and choosing the right characteristics you want to find and then find those those people and let them help you help your locker room grow and help set the culture of your organization because you know that's the key that's you know the teams you look at you know some of the teams even within the division the dolphins you know you look this year and similar to the jets they played hard hard all year you know the, the patriots you know you look at them and even in the time where you can point to adversity in their organization uh they're missing players or suspensions or, you know, not playing as as great as they can on offense like this year. But they find a way to get wins. They've always found a way to be competitive. And you know, that's just more. that's more than just players. That's the type of people that you bring and that you keep that always have that competitive, that sacrifice, that, you know, believe that if we stay together as a team, we can continue to, to move in a more successful place. So roster turnover is always big, but is to find the right people for the locker room. I think that's the most important part of it.
0: Next question comes in from Gus Toon again. He says, "With a season like this, that was so volatile with all the ups and downs, does it get to players and does it affect their play?"
2: Woo, volatility. I mean, this this was a I mean, my first my first years in New York, I, I felt we we had more volatility than this. We had all sorts of scandals and this happening, NFL investigations, people in the locker room tripping incidents videos come out. So I think this it, wasn't, it was just injuries. It seemed like it was injuries. And that led to a lot of the, the, you know, when you're losing, it seems volatile because you're losing games. So nobody's happy. Nobody wants to really talk and be funny with, you know, with reporters, you know. Nobody wants to hear the same questions over and over again about, you know, are you losing? Do you like this player? Don't you like this player? You know, do you like your coach? So I, I think that it it is a – hard thing to deal with but it can be overcome to be honest
0: play like a jet play like a jet Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard again. He says, I have another question for the legend Jamal Westerman. Do you think a team can reach the playoffs in spite of their head coach? Have you heard of or know any other teams where the players got together and said, guys, we know our coach stinks, but here is how we can win anyway? In other words, what I'm asking is, is there a reason for Jets fans to have hope with Adam Gase, even though we know that he's not a good coach? (laughs)
1: Uh, that's a, that
2: was a load of credit, Peter. That was like, uh, getting, getting on a team. Listen, in spite of your head coach, in spite teams that win the Super Bowl, the teams that win in the playoffs, teams that, you know, organizations, franchise, that have been successful 20 years, 10 years over the, you know, history of the NFL. I don't think you have that separation within the team where guys are having a mutiny and we're going to talk and you we know, don't like our head coach. I think, you know, the head coach sees it. You know, he sees things. The GM, they're, they're all lockstep the team leaders see things and they try to come together and collaborate and, and try to, you know, kind of cut through that adversity, cut through that, you know, the dissension within a locker room, you can not have a locker room that was just split and you have some guys sitting in the corner, man, this sucks, man, this head coach, or I hate the way that we lift weights or I hate the training room or I hate the staff. But then you got to t- have guys on the team like, you know, Hey, what's more important, you know, is it sitting around and talking about how you hate the food or the medical staff or you hate this play we're running or, you gonna come out and do your job, and put putting on the line and keep playing hard. So I don't think teams get behind coaches back and say, "All oh, right, we're gonna get, we're gonna get together and do it without him and go win a Super Bowl." Because if listen, the Super Bowl, the playoffs, I don't think people really how incredibly hard it is to get into the playoffs and then to win a game and to make that run to the Super Bowl to the last game, and it takes every person within an organization, within a team, having that singular focus that, you know, we have to work together to get here. So dissension and things normally leads to bad teams that have losing records, and it normally leads to players getting released, players getting cut, coaches losing their jobs. So I think the best thing is to – if you want to win, you got to be together as an organization.
0: Next question comes in from M Talon. He says, I would love to see Robbie Anderson back. Do you think if the Jets offered him something around $10 million a year fully guaranteed for three years with serious production-based incentives, that would sway the decision to get a deal done? I really think it just depends on what the market looks like. It's impossible to say. There are some people that say he could expect to get between 13 and $15 million. The cap's going up, and there are a lot of teams in need of a wide receiver. So that number is really going to depend on what other teams are willing to offer.
2: Yeah, I think right now nobody knows you know, he probably doesn't even have an idea of what teams are, you know, is what teams are going to offer him. Because like you said, the cap is moving teams. You know, they change where they may be a, a team that's in the playoffs right now, I said, like, man, this is a guy that we need to make another player push next year. Or maybe, you know, the jets coming back to listen, we like that chemistry you guys had together. We're going to, you know, we're going to give you this now before free agency start. This is what we're going to offer. And, you know, maybe he'll take the deal. So, You can't tell what deal he would take. And oh, would he take a $10 million deal fully guaranteed with the Jets? You can't tell that now. I mean, obviously he'll be a great, great guy to keep, you know, great receiver to have kind of grow with Sam Darnold in this offense in New York. But saying the numbers right now is kind of just, you're just pulling numbers out the air because we truly don't know what's inside his head. We truly don't know what motivates him, you know, in making this, uh, probably one of the biggest decisions, you know, in in his life right now, in his football career, because this is something that can set him up to be, you know, pro bowler guy, you know, find the right system or stay with a quarterback that you loved in the system that you developed in this year. And maybe you take it and you flip it, you know, so for him, it's, it's a huge, huge decision, but definitely a well-earned opportunity for him, just the way he finished out this year and the kind of professionalism that he showed on the field.
0: Final question comes in for me. And since we talked a little bit about 2011, I was curious if there was a story that you might want to tell for story time with Jamal involving a little dust up between the defensive coordinator at the time, Mike Pettin, and a certain Antonio Cromartie, a cornerback along the lines of what we were talking about with Bless and Austin, at least in terms of range and size and all that. Tell me a story.
2: Oh, that's one of my favorites. Oh, man, where'd you hear that story from? How'd you get... <laughs> uh, yeah, it was in Collision I mean.
0: Low Crossers, Jamal. Come on. Oh, no,
2: man. I, I forgot he was sitting right <laughs> there. Got... Listen, man. He got the front row seat to a lot of, a lot of... I won't say controversy. A lot of teachable moments. It's A lot of teachable <laughs> moments in the New York Jets back in the day. But, yeah, man. It's, you know, Crow and uh, Pat got into it a little bit. And that's the one thing that you see with two competitive guys that... Pat has said some things, you know, in the media which weren't to to undermine Crow. Just, listen, man, when Crow has his hand, I, I believe, and this is just me kind of re- reliving it. So if I'm wrong, I apologize, Crow, but it was more of the life of listen, Crow is an extremely talented guy, which we all knew, long arms. Once he gets his hand on the receivers, you know, if he puts his hand on wide receivers, they can't really do anything because he's so long-rangey speed. But sometimes Crow knows that, and Crow says, listen, man, I can keep up with anybody in this league. So Pet was basically saying, listen, you get one Crow and you get another Crow. Which Crow didn't like that, and I can understand being a player, you know, you want your coaches to always kind of have your back and to always – and I don't think Pet threw him under the bus, but, you know, you wanted your coach to kind of just have your back more. Just, just, you know, maybe you don't have to do that. And I don't think Pet did it maliciously. But in that meeting room, you can feel Crow was a little bit warm. You know, it was like inside out. He was that anger. He was all red, and you feel like, oh, man, Crow's a little hot today. You're watching him. you a, a little fire. And Pat said something. We're we'll watching film, and, you know, the, the dust stuff started. There was some choice words being thrown back and forth. But the cool thing about it, and the, and the one thing that was that's always crazy about the NFL, you'll see something like that and we're all sitting there, and everybody's just sitting there pretty calm, just watching it go down, watching it go down. Then it took, like, the adult in the room. It was Bob Sutton all right, well, both you guys, just speak quiet, sit on down, let's get back to watching this film. And everybody's like, all right, suck. listen, Scott got that military background that we all shut up and went back to watching film. So, you know, definitely definitely a funny day in the Jets defensive meeting room when you see two, I mean, defensive coordinator, you know, the top cornerbacks in the league going at it back and forth. But the crazy part is, you get out to the field next game, people move on so quickly in the NFL because we all understand, like, Listen, man, we trying to get there. We got to get there together because, listen, if you want to go far, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go together. And if you want to make it in the playoffs, you want to make it in the Super Bowl, you got to be together as a team. So sometimes – and I think Crow, you know, he probably – him and Pat had a, probably a talk where they sat down and they – listen, I didn't like you said that. And then Pat probably responded, but well, this is what I really meant to say, and I apologize if you took it like that. And they were both adults about it. They were both, you know – grown-ups grown about it and then they hashed it out and you know we went out and played but that's the NFL locker room man you get those characters you get that personalities you get so much competitiveness that guys are on edge because guys have to compete every day and that's kind of that pro football where you always have to be competing in every aspect of what you do and I think that competition always leads to a little bit of a little bit of temper being a little, a little hot
0: for what it's worth I tweeted something about it a while back And Cromartie responded saying... He didn't walk out of the film session. He sat down, watched film, took notes, and didn't leave until after the meeting. This is according to Antonio Cromartie. He said, also, I wasn't upset about being criticized, took coaching very well, just didn't like Mike Pettin, thought he was very sneaky and had a slick mouth. We're all men in the room, so he should have treated us like that. So I guess, Jamal, maybe they sat down and had a meeting of the minds, but it sounds like to this day there's no love lost there between Cromartie and Mike Pettin.
2: Ooh man, yeah. I mean, guess there's no love lost. I mean, and that's you know what, and that's the one thing why I, I listen. That's why I like pro football. That's why I like football because listen, he, Cromartie could feel that way the whole season. Patton could feel the way about him the whole season. But to be able to come together and keep putting it out there and being those meetings after that's happened and both men are respectable, both men are professional, like Crow said, he didn't get up and leave. Sat there, did what he had to do. That's the thing about football where like, listen, man, shit happens. Guys hate each other. Guys. Has, I've seen guys getting knockout fights, taking off shirts, punching each other, wrestling to the ground about something as bad as, wait a minute, you did tell me to run the game or you didn't tell me to run the game. But then the next week, moving forward, can you put that behind you? And those are the things that you look at when you're building your roster, when you're building your staff. What type of people have with that emotional intelligence? You know, are they going to, a guy that gets mad and he keeps it for four weeks where you can't get his best play out of him for four weeks because he's pissed off at a coordinator or at another player? Or, or, or a coach who's pissed off at, a, at his linebacker so he's not playing him or he's not blitzing him because he doesn't like him. So you have to have those people that can see situations, have a problem, talk it out, but still go out there and compete every day. Crow's still hot, man. Crow's still hot, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what? No, it's okay, man. You have, you have the right to feel the way you feel. But, man, yeah, he said he got a slick mouth.
0: He was not a fan of Mike Pettin So I'm pretty sure that means that we're not going to be seeing Antonio Cromartie added to The defensive coaching staff of the Green Bay Packers Anytime soon Jamal, thanks so much for joining me For this two-part weekend mailbag It was a lot of fun to get your perspective Because it's always a treat answering mailbag questions with the very big deal Chris Nimbly, but to get the perspective of somebody who was on the field, not just as an NFL player, but also as a member of the Jets, and as somebody who follows the Jets closely to this day, it's really cool to be able to pick your brain, so I'm glad that people were able to ask you some questions. And if they want to ask you more, perhaps on social media, how can they get a hold of you?
2: Oh, social media, you know, Twitter, Jay, Jamal Westerman. That's Jamal with two A's before the L. J A M A A L. Westerman, that's at Twitter, and uh, Instagram, Westerman 90 just go Westerman in there, you'll see my face pop up, but uh, yeah, man, happy New Year's again, I mean, tough, tough season, but it's an exciting part right now, because you're in the playoffs. you can playoff games to watch, even though our Jets won't be there, and it's a roster building season, so uh, a lot of hopes moving into 2020 for everyone.
0: And now, before we go, let's try and make you a few bucks on this Sunday. Because the games were spread out on Saturday and Sunday, forgot to do picks for the AFC games, but still time to make you some money for the NFC games today. And that's why we bring in my brother Craig to give you his picks. Craig, what's going on? Hey,
1: what's up, Scott? Uh, Not too much. Hanging out, getting ready to watch these
0: games. Sounds like a good plan. I'll be doing some of that myself today. Before we do go and watch, though, let's try and make people a few bucks. Who do you like in these two games today?
1: First game, I like Minnesota plus the eight points. Tough game at New Orleans, but I still like Minnesota plus eight. Here, I think Cousins plays well. I I see it being a close game. And, uh, yeah, so I like Minnesota plus the points.
0: I like that, too. I think New Orleans is going to win the game probably by a touchdown, but I think Minnesota is going to be able to keep it close enough to cover the spread. What do you think about the late game with Seattle and the Philadelphia Eagles?
1: So, yeah, this one I feel strongly about. I really like the Eagles plus one and a half at home. I know Eagles haven't had the greatest season, but now it's the playoffs. Things are different. They came on pretty strong at the end of the season. Seattle looked great, but you know what? some big losses to the 49ers really pretty much cost them their season in my opinion. So I think Eagles take care of business at home and win this one.
0: I disagree on that one. Although obviously the Eagles have been much better of late and they are at home, but when it comes down to it, I'm all about betting on Russell Wilson, so I would take the Seahawks in that one. Craig, thanks so much for coming on to end the show this week. Really appreciate it. We will get your picks for next week's games. That'll be interesting because we'll be into the nitty-gritty in round number two. In the meantime, though, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, get a hold of Mason 86 at AOL.com or Craig Mason on Facebook.
0: Go ahead and contact Craig. Don't forget to follow Jamal on Twitter, at Jamal, J-A-M-A-A-L, the two A's for the two times he sacked Tom Brady, not once, but twice in a single game. And for the latest and greatest, the New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turn TurnOnTheJets.com.